Good day, and welcome back to Latin 3 from the Church of St. Agnes. Today, we will cover Unit 35, which is the last unit of grammar lessons in the Collins book. So we've come a long way, and we're about to uh, conclude our study, our formal study of Latin grammar uh, via the Collins book. So if you take a look on page uh, 316, you see that unit 35 contains, like the last several units, not anything too earth-shakingly new uh, or difficult uh, to understand or comprehend. Uh, we have a couple small new uh, elements of grammar and then uh, several review pages um, talking about ablatives and accusatives. So as we look on um, page 316, we see the first thing that Collins talks about are Greek periphrastic tenses. Periphrasis, of course, is uh, talking around the long way of saying something. And here we see that the Latin of the Vulgate will sometimes use a participle with some form of the verb to be uh, in much the way, in same way that we use helping verbs in English. This is typically in the Vulgate an effort to mimic the Greek text, um, which is followed very, very closely in most instances. Um, if we didn't mention this point of grammar uh, as a formal one, and you encountered it in, uh, in the Vulgate, you probably would uh, translate it rather easily anyway. So what we see here, if we look at the examples, is that uh, the, the tenses of sum that are used are generally the present imperfect and future with the present participle. So notice we say laudans sum. I am sum laudans, praising. Laudante sum is the plural. We are praising. Now, of course, you could have just said laudo, I am praising. But uh, this, uh, this expression in Latin will occur, and so be ready to see it occasionally. If we change to the imperfect, um, we have the present participle and the imperfect tense of sum. Laudans eram, I was praising. Laudans ero, in the future, I will be praising, and so forth. So that's a pretty simple um, uh, piece of grammar there. I think that uh, you can see the analogy not only with Greek, but in case you don't know Greek, um, certainly uh, in English. When we use a progressive tense, um, uh, we generally use a verb to be and the participle ing in English. So I am praising, I was praising, I will be praising. Good. Uh, moving on to section 174, Collins is talking about syncopated, shortened, perfect active system forms. Um, I can't remember if he formally uh, introduced or explained this before. I know I have explained it to you because he's given you examples of it in the sentences. But here what he's talking about is that in certain cases, forms of the perfect, pluperfect, and future perfect active, um, and sometimes even the infinitive, will undergo syncopation or cutting. That's what syncope in Greek means. The loss of a middle syllable when the sequence VI or VE occurs. So if you see the examples on page 318, 
you see Lauda Visti, you praised, and we see that VI can drop out and it can just appear as Laudasti. We have had such examples in the sentences prior to this presentation, so this shouldn't be anything new. Lauda Vistis can turn into Laudastis. Lauda Visemus, notice the VI there, it drops and it becomes Lauda Semus. And even the infinitive, Lauda Visse, can become Laudase. That's the syncopated form of the perfect tense, and you will see it occasionally. You have already seen it. So again, nothing new there. Uh, he talks a little bit about uh, the AO and the fourth conjugation verbs with perfect active stems that end in IV, have collateral forms which end in II. Uh, Audivi is sometimes Audii, custo, Custodivi is sometimes Custodii, Evi, the most common one of these is from EO. EO, ire evi or ee to mean to go, right? And then he talks about um, a, another kind of syncopation in the box. The third plural of the perfect indicative has an alternate ending. Um, instead of erunt, you just sometimes see ere. This is uh, be very rare in, in uh, ecclesiastical Latin. And as he talks about, other parts of speech may lose a medial syllable, ad dextris for ad dexteris, and so on. Um, not, a, not a difficult concept at all. Um, 175 presents something that we talked about earlier. Uh, again, Collins coming back on these things after he's presented many examples in his sentence. And uh, this is the so-called historical present. We do this all the time in English. Uh, often we even read it in uh, history textbooks. When a historical act is being described, sometimes the author, to make it more vivid, will slip into the present. Uh, and he's describing an action that took place many years ago or in the past, uh, sometime in the past, and the author uses the present uh, just to make it more vivid, to make it more lively. Um, when that's the case, the interesting thing, and this is the important thing to remember, when the historical present is being used, a subordinate clause that depends on the historical present takes a secondary tense as if the main verb were in the past. That's the important point. Take a look at the example, et a ducunt illum, and they lead him, notice that's the present, ut crucifigerent eum, in order that they might crucify him. This is their taking Jesus to be crucified. Um, and so that's a historical present. We could just translate it in the past, actually. They led him that they might take him to be crucified. But notice we use the imperfect subjunctive as if the main verb were in the secondary sequence. Uh, again, when you see this in Latin, I don't think it will present any problem to you, but it's good for you to remember and to know about it. And now um, he presents what he calls a cognate ablative. It's really no, nothing more than really a form of the ablative of means or the ablative of manner. But when the ablative is connected in a meaningful way to the verb, he calls it a cognate ablative. So, gavisi sunt magno gaudio. They rejoiced with a great joy. Um, uh, on the next page, clamavit magna voce. He shouted out with a great voice. 
Um, he shouted with a great shout, in other words. Uh, not, again, a, a difficult point of grammar. And now for the end of uh, this chapter, Collins includes two long summaries, one of the accusative case, another of the ablative case. And we'll run through these quickly. I think that you will remember most of them. Some of them uh, Collins uh, classifies seem to be somewhat arbitrary. Uh, no problem with that. Uh, just trying to show you again all the uses of the accusative and ablative cases. So here we have the forms of the accusative. The, uh, uh, the first and most important, of course, the direct object. Petrum vidit Paulus. Paul saw Peter. That's the most common use of the uh, accusative as the direct object. We have the predicate accusative or uh, an apposition. They made him pope. Fecerunt eum papam. Yes, they made him pope. Then we have the cognate accusative. We just talked about the cognate ablative, the cognate accusative. Vitas nostras vivimus. We live our lives. You can run a race, you can lead a life, and so on. Um, in other words, the accusative is related in meaning to the verb. Then we have the double accusative with certain verbs, not many, but a verb like doceo, doceo, to teach, uh, takes two, two accusatives. He do, uh, nos orationem docuit. He taught us the prayer. Notice nos and orationem, both in the accusative. There are not lots of verbs that, that take a double accusative, but doceo is the primary one. Um, then we have the subject accusative infinitive and indirect discourse. We've been talking about that um, uh, for some time now since we had the formal indirect discourse form presented. Puta verunt palum esedem. They thought that Paul was a god. And here's something that he calls the anticipatory accusative. This is what the Greeks call prolepsis in Greek. Um, this isn't this doesn't occur much in Latin, but uh, it's included here. Dicimus uh, Petrum. We say Peter, quote, hic est bonus, that he is good. So in English, we wouldn't talk like that. We'd say just simply, we say that Peter is good. But here we say, we name Peter, and then we have this proleptic construction, quote, hic est bonus, that he is good. Um, very rarely used in, in Latin, really. And then we have the accusative of extent of space and time. Um, in Domum in Travit, he entered into the house. Notice in classical Latin with the names of cities, towns, small islands, domus and rus, those two words, you would use that without a preposition. In ecclesiastical Latin, you can have the in domum. Uh, notice uh, the next one, romam iit, without a preposition, he went to Rome. And then we have the accusative of extent of time, quinque dies mansit, he remained for five days. And what Collins calls the adverbial accusative, it's a, in a sense an accusative of respect, in respect to what are you weeping? We can just say, why are you weeping? But as to what or in respect to what are you weeping? Um, there are your accusatives. So that's a good review. And then we have the review of the ablative case. I remember when I was first learning Latin as a youngster, um, one of my first Latin teachers in, uh, I don't know, when I was 13 or 14, 
he wasn't, um, Latin wasn't his main subject, so he was kind of taking on the task of teaching. And um, he had a habit of saying, when in doubt, throw it in the ablative. Uh, <laughs> we used to laugh at that, but uh, then the more we learned, uh, we thought, well, maybe that's true, because there are so many uses of the ablative in Latin. And that's because the ablative in Latin does duty for several other cases in Indo-European, which were in fact taken up by the ablative. Uh, in, any, in any case, you can see we have almost two pages of review for the ablative case, so let's take a look at them. The first is the ablative of accompaniment with the preposition cum usually, cum petro venit, he came with Peter. Then we have the ablative of separation with verbs that mean to free, lack, or deprive. Libra nos amalo. You, in classical Latin, you wouldn't have that ah there, but sometimes in ecclesiastical Latin you do. Free us or deliver us from evil. Uh, then you have the ablative of means. The, uh, in other words, the means by which something is done. Gladio ocisus est. He was killed by means of a sword. We would say with a sword, but Latin will not use cum there. It's ablative of means without a preposition. Then we have the ablative of manner. Um, mano cum dolore, dolore locutus est. He spoke with great sorrow. If there's an adjective with the ablative of manner, like magno dolore, you don't need the cum, but sometimes the cum will be there. We say you graduated magno cum laude, or summa cum laude, right? That's an ablative of manner. Then we have the ablative of personal agent. This is uh, with passive verbs, and the person who is the agent is put in the ablative, usually introduced by a or ab. Misa ab episcopo celebrabitur. The mass will be celebrated by the bishop, ab episcopo. And, yes, there are ablatives with certain adjectives, not many. Uh, plenus is one, plenus aum, ave maria gratia plena, hail mary, plena gratia, full with grace, literally, we say full of grace, gratia plena, gratia, the ablative. Uh, the ablative of respect or specification, we talked about that, uh, beati paupere spiritu, blessed are the pauperes, those poor in respect or specification in spirit, in the ablative. Uh, the ablative of cause, uh, very close to um, ablative of manner in certain means, but it's uh, telling the cause. Gaudio clamaverunt, they shouted for with joy, for joy, pray. You could use preposition there, or you don't have to, uh, for joy. Of course, the ablative absolute is an incredibly important one. And remember, that's an ablative absolute is a clause expressing time, cause, condition, or concession, which is attended upon but grammatically divorced from the main clause. This is when we put the subject of the clause in the ablative and the participle agrees with it. Hoc facto abit. This having been done, he went away. This is the circumstances under which he went away, hoc facto, this having been done. Then we have the ablative of description or characteristic, Petrus erat magna vir fide. Peter was a vir, a man 
and we would say magna fide, of great faith. Sometimes that will be the genitive of description, but often the ablative. He is a man literally with great faith. In other words, it describes him. We have the ablative of place where, usually with a preposition, in domo petri manebat, they were staying in the house of Peter. And then we have the ablative of place from which or out of which. And again, with the names of cities, towns, small islands, domus, and worse than classical Latin, the ablative usually without a preposition. In, in ecclesiastical Latin, with, you will see it with a preposition. That's why we have a domo venerunt. They came out of the house. Uh, the ablative of comparison. Now, that's an important one. Remember, you can compare something either using the word quam, in, the, in which case uh, words on each side of the quam are in the same case, or you can do the ablative of comparison following the comparative adjective. Quis es maior ille? Who is greater than that one? Illo. Quis es maior? Who is greater? Quam, or no quam, just the illo, than that man. And then close to that, the ablative of degree of difference, used with a comparative but to show the degree of difference. Petrus erat multo senior quam Ioannis. Peter was senior, older than John, multo, by much. It was a, it was a, I'm sorry, it's a question. Was Peter much older than John? Was Peter older than John by much? That's called the ablative of degree of difference, multo. And we learned recently the ablative of time when or time within which. Uh, with or without a preposition in ecclesiastical Latin, in classical Latin, normally without a preposition, in illo tempore or just illo tempore, Ioannis baptizabat in deserto. In, at that time, in those days, at that time, John was baptizing in the desert. And then we have um, uh, quinquianis hoc struxerunt. They constructed this uh, in five years, right, within five years. Uh, in, in ecclesiastical Latin, uh, the ablative can also be used to show duration of time. Normally in classical Latin, that's the accusative, and you will see the accusative also in ecclesiastical Latin. But sometimes uh, here you will also see the ablative of duration of time. Duodecim anis infirma furet. She had been infirma or sick for 12 years, in the space of 12 years. Duodecim anis. And we just talked about the cognate ablative, manum timori timuerunt, they feared with a great fear. Um, uh, not very difficult there. And there are certain verbs that take the ablative. Remember, we talked about those five verbs, fruor, utor, wescor, podior, and utor. Utor, fruor, wescor, podior, um, and fungor. Uh, there we have them. Here we have fungitur, sacerdos ritu fungitur. The priest performs or is performing the ceremony. Right? The most common of those verbs is utor, to use. That takes the ablative. Fruor is another important one to enjoy. So that really wraps up the grammar. Nothing, again, too earth-shaking in this unit. Uh, we have those... Uh, uh, participial forms, those paraphrastic forms, uh, mention of the historical present, the review of the accusative and ablatives, and there you have it. 
uh, a healthy list of vocabulary on page 322, and then we move into our exercises. So there's nothing really much new here for our concluding unit in the Collins book. Um, but I'd like you to do the exercises, and then maybe following this last unit, we may have a little bonus we'll talk about uh, during the uh, recording of the exercises for unit 35 next. So for your homework for this unit, here are the numbers uh, that I'd like you to do. On the exercises on pages 324 to 326, Get out your pencils and here, here you go. Uh, number one, number three, five, six, eight, nine, twelve, fourteen, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine, thirty-one, thirty-three, thirty-five, thirty-six, thirty-seven, and forty. One more time. One, three, five, six, eight, nine, twelve, fourteen, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine, thirty-one, thirty-three, thirty-five, thirty-six, thirty-seven, and forty. And for the readings, let's do number one, the conversion of Saul, part two, from Acts nine continuing, sort of completing the story that we started in Unit 34. Um, well, that does it for our grammar today and our final unit. Um, again, as I've been saying the last several units, you should be congratulating yourselves for completing uh, or nearing completion of, of this entire book. Uh, you now officially know all of the grammar that's been presented in these 35 units. And with the help of a dictionary, you should be able to read most any ecclesiastical Latin that you encounter. And for that matter, most classical Latin that you encounter. As always, if you have a question, don't hesitate to send me an email at may at stoloff.edu. I'll be glad to answer all your questions. We'll be back with you uh, in a few days with the uh, recording going over our homework for Unit 35 and talking a little bit about the future. Until that time, you have my best wishes and my hopes and prayers for your success in your study of Latin and all other aspects of your lives. Take care and God bless.